Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. Spooksters, and welcome back to another stabby snippet here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara, and as always, I'm joined with my favorite ghoul friend, Jessica. Hello. Hello. And today we are going to do an updated episode on the Gannon Stouk case. I originally covered this shortly after it had broke out in the news. So if you're not familiar with this case at all, I would suggest to go back and listen to that first since that'll kind of lay the foundation out on things for you guys. And a quick recap, if you did listen and maybe just need a refresher on some stuff, Gannon was an 11-year-old boy who was thought to have disappeared from his neighborhood in Colorado Springs back in the end of January of this year. The initial timeline and chain of events that we had left tons and tons of questions and so many sketchy inconsistencies, more specifically around Gannon's stepmom, Tisha. But since that last episode, it's, you know, been a few months, of course, it's came out that Gannon was sadly murdered, more than likely the day he was reported missing. Tisha, during all of that, she ended up traveling back to South Carolina, where her family was at, because... Al had kicked her out of the house and all of that. So she left, but she was brought back to Colorado and she's now still in jail in El Paso County. And she is there being held without bail on 13 felony counts, which are first degree murder after deliberation, first degree murder of a person under 12 by someone in a position of trust, child abuse resulting in death, tampering with a deceased human body, tampering with physical evidence, seven counts of a crime of violence for using a weapon, and the weapon listed in the affidavit is a firearm, a blunt object, and a sharp object, one count of crime of violence causing severe bodily injury or death. And Gannon's body, if you're following this, you'll already know, was found in Pace, Florida on Tuesday, March 17th. Now, the answers on how his body got there exactly, whether Tisha moved it or she had some help with that, that's still unanswered at this point, at least publicly. We know with cases like this, they do keep these details close to the chest. And I also believe besides the affidavit, they are keeping stuff sealed on this. I don't know if there's a gag order necessarily or anything at this point, but this affidavit, it was released to us, to the public. Not us specifically. We ain't that special. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We want to be that special. Yeah, we would love to be. In early April, and it was said to originally be leaked through social media. I believe it was a Facebook group because, you know, with missing persons and popular cases like this, there's always groups dedicated to that kind of thing. True. But once things got confirmed and okayed, the media started posting it on the internet and stuff like that for everybody else kind of thing. They wanted to obviously make sure it was real before they did that. And it gives us a lot more details on the timeline of everything. So I do want to use the bulk of this stabby to walk through all of that. So if you listened to the last episode, like I said, you guys know we had lots of questions that we were raging about. Well, we do get some of those answers. I will say, though, that, of course, this is a case involving the death of a child, and it is violent. So if anything like that does trigger you, I would say go ahead and skip this one Mm -hmm. and check out any of our backlog or any of our free patron episodes if you're not a patron. Yes. And then another kind of like refresher in case you don't remember her sketchy bitch ass. Tisha loves to change her story a lot and make a bunch of things up. So you've probably heard like six, seven, eight different stories about (laughs) this woman about each aspect of this case. So there's also that. Right. And that will be a theme. You guys also might remember us discussing Tisha applying to jobs outside of their state as a flight attendant and things like that. She was. But on top of that, there's a list of Google searches, some she had deleted and some she didn't, that are interesting on their their own. 
So kind of give you guys the rundown because you're like, Tara, you are speeding through this. What the fuck is happening? (laughs) What I'm going to do is I'm going to treat this. If you listen to our bonus episode on the Lori Vallow case where we went over those court documents, I'm going to do it kind of the same way. I'm not going to read the 32 page affidavit because this would be like a five hour episode. No, not happening. We love you, but no. (laughs) (laughs) So. I found on KRDO, when I was putting my new timeline together, it was pretty much everything I was writing was what they had written when I was on a bunch of different news sources and stuff. So I liked how they compiled it. And then I just kind of inserted different little tidbits here and there as well. But if you would like to follow along or look at it after the timeline I'm going to go after to kind of explain what's happened and then where we are at is from KRDO. They're the local news station for there, and they've done really good coverage on everything. And I believe they might have been the ones who did her interview with her like back to the camera and stuff. Definitely check it out. But wanted to give you all that PSA. So anyways, so basically, of course, when this kind of shit happens, they're going to go through your search history and you think if you delete it and it's gone, you're dumb because that's not what happens. They will find it. So, okay, so a couple days before he was murdered. So the 25th, they say the 25th through the 29th. These are some of the searches and stuff. Now, I'm not going to read all of them because there's also a lot, but I'm going to read some like highlighted ones. <laughs> She'd been looking for these jobs that we were talking about in Los Angeles, in Fort Lauderdale and other parts of Florida. So she was getting ready to dip out. Reason for that asterisk. We will get to that in a minute. She was also visiting kind of like a calculator type of website to budget how much it would cost to move type of situation. But some of her searches and these ones were not deleted because you're going to hear some of these and be like, she left those. Okay, these ones were left and then we'll get to the deleted ones. (laughs) Item number one on this list was find real military singles. And she did this on the 25th of January. Wow. In your husband's house. Right. While he's gone for training, gold star. Mm-hmm. I'm overdoing all of the work for my stepkids and their mom doesn't help. It's another one. Is that a question? Or is that just like, I have no one to talk to. Google's my friend. Right? Literally, that's what some of these sound like. So, yeah. And then she has a couple, quote, normal way you would search. It says mom advice from stepmom or forced. I'm assuming it meant for stepmom. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing makes sense. Then we get to, I wonder if my husband's ex-wife is sending me a card since I raise her kids. Is it like an article? It just says Google search. That's not how you Google. (laughs) Google isn't going to know that answer. Okay, to sidetrack for a second. I love that like wired autocomplete interview where it's like, my favorite is Josh Gad when he reads his. And he's like, Josh Gad age now. Because the way people type in, which you're not supposed to use like proper grammar when you Google things. But because he's reading it as a sentence, it's funny. Yeah. Which everyone on that is always like, why don't people use proper grammar? It's like, because that's not how you're taught to Google search. Keywords, people. Keywords. Come on. That one was (laughs) just like, I wonder if my stepkid's mom's going to send me a card. Like, Google's not going to fucking know. Google doesn't (laughs) know where Josh Gad is right now. Like, Right. Uh, It's not Google's job. Right. Parents who put their kids before their nails. I don't know what that means, but okay. Find a guy who wants me to take care of his kids and get paid. What? So you want to be a nanny? Yeah, that's called nanny. Yeah. This is like every one of those like game ads that pop up that's like, I fall in love with you. Mm-hmm. You're my nanny. Like that. that's what that storyline thinks of. Stop playing those choose adventure games, lady. Right. And then now we're getting closer to when stuff starts happening because here she searches Colorado law for kids staying at home. School is out. Is it okay for my kid to stay home alone? Son's sick. Can he stay home? Then it goes down to can Nintendo find my Switch? That's a big one that'll actually come up later. Carnet Volkswagen. She has a Volkswagen. They're asking for our son's toothbrush, but say nothing is wrong. That's a weird one. Yes. And that one will come up later, too. That's very specific. Yes. And then she also looked up like flights. It says OKC to Colorado Springs, police steps for our missing child, and then, or actually police steps for our runaway and police steps for our missing child. So obviously that changes. And then the toothbrush things like later. That's last on that list. But the deleted ones, Jessica, are you ready for me to tell you these? There's 12 of them. Ooh, I'm strapped in. (laughs) Number one, find me a new husband book. Book? Yes. She wants a book to tell her how to find a new husband, apparently. Girl, you have the attention span of a toddler. Like, you don't need a book. Number two, I feel like I'm just a nanny, not a stepmom. 
Number three, husband uses me to babysit his kids. Number four, are there any free money to move away from bad situation? Number five, my husband never posts about me, but does everything else. Okay. Mm. My husband only cleans up for the army, not me. Well, it's because the army has a very strict dress code policy. Like, any military man will tell you the second he can have a couple weeks off, shaving goes out the window, haircuts go out the window, sometimes wearing clean clothes go out the window. Because it's like, <laughs> it's not like if you if I showed up at my office and I had on dirty pants by accident, like my boss would be like, OK, don't let that happen again. They get in trouble like they can get an Article 15 for having a sunburn. Mm. I actually took that search as like legit cleaning up, which is also kind of similar because if they get told they got to go clean something or whatnot, they're going to go fucking do it. So maybe he's just doesn't want to do it at home. I don't know. (laughs) I like that we took that in two separate ways. Yes. And yet it comes back to the same thing. It's it's their job. Okay. Number seven. I'm just a glorified babysitter. Number eight. Find a new husband. Number nine. Sent my husband sexual messages and he ignores them. (laughs) Aw, poor Tisha. She's been in booby pictures and nothing's coming back. Ew, not poor her. She's a piece of shit. Yes. Um, (laughs) At this point in time, she's not. Number 10, make my husband want me more. Number 11, I feel like my husband uses me to babysit his kid. Number 12, find a guy without kids. So these are all the deleted ones, right? Correct. Which is interesting because the ones that she doesn't delete are more incriminating than these ones. Right. Can Nintendo find my Switch? The whole toothbrush one. I like wrote those down as like, okay. Yeah. And like the police step thing. Yeah. It's just really weird. I get that she's like, if my husband reads that I'm searching to find a new husband, he's probably going to be upset. But for the first one you read in the delete or in the non-deleted section was like the military singles thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I just like that she Googled that and was like, I don't feel the need to delete that, but I'm going to feel the need to delete my husband posts. (laughs) Doesn't post about me, but does everything else. Like my husband doesn't post about me, but he posts dog pictures and like, I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Maybe she takes offense to it. I don't know. So, okay, we're going to move on from her uh, search activities now. Okay. And we're going to go into the timeline from KRDO. So basically, you're going to hear like the timeline again, but like it's going to have a lot more details to it because we obviously were not given quite as much info and obviously she was not fucking talking. So there's that. Well, that and when you first reported on it, it was like right after it happened. So mm-hmm. true, true, true. Okay, so Sunday, January 26th, this is the day before. Tisha claimed that Gannon was up most of Sunday night into Monday morning with stomach problems, with like a stomach ache type of thing. She had told Al that she was going to keep him home from school that day and then come up with something to stay home from work, to stay home with him. So next day at 4.37 a.m., she texts her employer and tells them that her stepdad was killed after being hit by a car and that she won't be into work. And spoiler, that did not happen. Um, I don't know about a lot of you, but you really shouldn't use the death of a family member that hasn't died. That's one, bad karma. Two, what happens if that person shows up in your life one day, like at your job or in a picture on your Facebook? She seemed very active with the social media. I'm assuming at some point she'd have a picture with him. Right. Quite the lie. Not, oh my God, I'm, I have food poisoning and I'm shitting my pants. I have to stay home. It's my fucking dad, stepdad died. Especially like it's so detailed. It's not like when my parents passed, I just said my parents passed. And then like I waited until I came back to the office to say what had happened. I wasn't like, oh my God, my... <laughs> You know, like, I'm not going into that. Here's the whole story. Yeah. Don't be so fucking dramatic. (laughs) True. So, of course, Gannon stayed home from school. As the school records show, they do say what the name is of the school and all that. But I don't like sharing that, even though it is out there on the internet. If you really want to know, Google it. Right. But the authorities believe that he was more than likely alive that morning. From 8.13 to 8.17, 
Tisha take some pictures on her cell phone of Gannon sleeping, and this will come into play during the investigation part. At 10.16 is when the neighborhood surveillance video that we had discussed in the last episode comes up, and this shows her leaving with what we assume is Gannon leaving the residence. It's basically a ring camera a couple doors down, so it's not the best quality, basically. But she had left her phone at home, and based on the, you know, the techie stuff, they can tell that it was locked and not messed with from 9.56 a.m. to 2.45 p.m. At about 20 minutes later, so 10.37, there's a text sent from Gannon's phone to Harley, which is her 17-year-old daughter, saying, Tisha left phone at home. If you need her, text me. And this is while they are out. This is when she's seen in Petco two times purchasing things. On the first time she went, it was 11.22 a.m. and Gannon's nowhere to be seen. Most people assume he was more than likely in the car. We still don't know after that trip what she was doing for those couple hours from 11.22 to 1.22. Like, it's just not known. Around that time, so 1.21 p.m., there's a text from Gannon's phone responding to Al asking if he can play Zelda at least, and Al says not today. And then we see Tisha goes back into Petco one more time and then leaves. And this is at 122. And then about 20 minutes later, Gannon's phone searches, can my parent find my cell phone if it's off? It doesn't really sound like a kid thing would look up type of thing. So in my opinion, and in the article, it said the detectives think this as well. They think she was searching this because it was also the same type of, you know, full sentence format and stuff that she does. Got it. And then half an hour later at 2.14 p.m., this is when investigators think Gannon was murdered by Tisha sometime after this time because they are back in the residence. And more specifically, they believe this happened in the bedroom. They find a lot of evidence that we'll get into in a little bit and how they kind of determine all of that. So at 219, the vehicle's there. We see that in the footage, too, if you watch the surveillance stuff. If you go to our other sources page for this for Gannon, those are on there and you can watch them. On the footage, you see a like a little boy figure get out. So it's more than likely him because it's like same build, same everything, you know. They have ADT motion detectors in the house. And so those had no movement at all from when they left at 1016 till they got back at 219. So nothing going on. Gannon and Tisha entered the house and his little sister, because I know we were kind of like, what the fuck? Where is she? Because she's like seven or eight. She was at school, so she wasn't home yet. And then Harley was said to be at work. So 2.30. So during this time, the motion sensors show movement between the upstairs and the downstairs. In an interview with the detectives, because she had obviously went in a couple days after this, they wanted to question her more because she's acting sketchy, which we will get into. Tisha had actually told the detectives that she was being raped by this guy she made up named Eduardo. She says that she met him near a construction site the day before. I don't know what she's doing hanging out there, but okay. And then she claims that Gannon knocked over a candle and burned carpet. She had called him to fix it and had given him like the garage code, the pin pad thing, and that he would come in to fix it now into this Monday. She's saying she met him Sunday. More on that in a minute. Wait, so she just gave a guy she met in a parking lot or at a construction site the code to her house? supposedly there's a level of stupidity out there but like oh but he doesn't exist so like she didn't do it (laughs) well i'm just the theory of that is stupid Mm -hmm. so she thinks like me lying about this and then saying oh i gave him the code i get what you're saying is like she thinks that's i don't know sane to say i guess reasonable well she's saying like he got into the house because he had the code i gave to him to fix the carpet that's why there's no force entry Mm -hmm. and that's why there's no force entry But, like, does she not realize that the company, like, ADT keeps track of all that shit? No, apparently not. Oh, God. But she has the wherewithal to Google how to make my husband want me. Okay. Yeah. And then at 3.15, this is when, if you go by the original story, Tisha was claiming she had saw Gannon leaving to go play with a friend. And around this time, this is also when his younger sister got home from school. And Tisha had told the little sister that Gannon was asleep in her bed and told her to go play outside. Detectives believe that this was when she was cleaning up. So she was trying to get her out of the house so she didn't see anything. Got it. So basically that he 
died after they got into the house. So essentially, I know up above it said like after 219, but I'd say probably between like 230 to the 315 time block is what I'm thinking because there's all that movement and everything else type of thing. That's 45 minutes. Yeah. And then from 330 to 342, you can see that the younger sister's outside playing. She's like riding her bike, that kind of thing. They see that because there's like a there's footage. Yeah, there's like security footage. So like that ring camera. Okay. I don't know if it's exactly the same one or a different one. You know, obviously those cameras are popular. Mm -hmm. So you just see her outside riding her bike. Got it. And over the next 30 minutes, so from... When the end of her being outside. So like from 341 to 420, there's a bunch of text activities on the phone with Tisha, Harley, and Al. Also during that time block, Al sends a message to Gannon's phone just like, hey, buddy, because like I said, he's away for training. He's out of state at this point. He's in Oklahoma. And it wasn't read until 7.40 p.m., but like I discussed, cops already believed that Gannon was already deceased and it was Tisha who, like, opened the phone and read it. But it's a good point that she most likely read the text message, not Gannon. Yeah, because, I mean, like, obviously, she, after she murdered him, she, you know, took all his, like, personal stuff because you can't just, like, you know, a little preteen kid's not going to leave his phone if he supposedly went to a friend's house. Like, he would take it with him. Right. Which is kind of like my thought is there's footage of a little girl riding her bike and playing outside, yet there's zero footage of Gannon going anywhere. Right. Exactly. Shouldn't think about that one. You dumbass. Right. (laughs) That's all I can think every time she starts talking. I'm like, dumbass. God, for real. Okay. So Harley gets home from work at about a quarter to five, and she picks up the little sister, and they leave. While they're gone, about like just shortly after they left, so like 10 minutes later, Tisha texted Harley and was like, hey, can you pick up some stuff for me from the store? And that text read... Quote, carpet powder, two things, baking soda and trash bags, end quote. And there is a receipt that they have, you know, showing that she bought, that Harley bought the trash bags, the baking soda and the vinegar. And that was at about 5.14 p.m., which I don't know. Obviously, if your mom's asking you to pick up like normal cleaning stuff, you're not going to think anything of it. You know what I'm saying? So like, I get that. Right. I mean, it makes it makes a lot of sense. It makes sense. But I don't know. It's just kind of interesting as well. This is just like a little asterisk. You can do what you want with it. It's noted that Harley even still has just not given any consent to speak with the police about any of this. She's just like, nope, no, thank you. Staying out of it kind of thing. Well, she's 17. Well, she's 17. You know, she's a kid. But I don't know. It could just be she doesn't want anything to do with it because she's like, this is real life shit. No fucking thank you. Or she could know more than she wants anybody to know. We don't know. We won't know. Hopefully she had no part in this. Yeah. I would really hope that a mother wouldn't put her daughter in this kind of situation. Yeah. I mean, but ugh. And it's also during this time that detectives believe that... Tisha cleaned up from the murder, like all the blood and everything to try to hide it. If you guys remember, there was a bunch of like they were doing search after search after search on this house. And on February 1st, detectives found blood presence in Gannon's bedroom, also in the hall leading to the utility closet or utility room in the utility room itself and on the staircase leading upstairs and on the pathway to the garage, and in the garage area itself. Holy shit. Yeah. But back to to this day. Tisha calls 911 at 6.55 p.m. It says at 10.09 p.m. That's when the deputies respond. Here's where something did not go good. Deputies observed that her Volkswagen, it's a Tigan, I don't know how to say it. I don't know, some little car. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I don't know how to say it either. Yeah, it's some Volkswagen car. Anyway, it was backed into the garage. They now think that his body was more than likely in the trunk because, no spoiler, they seized her car at this point and there was traces of blood in the vehicle. I don't know why they didn't think to check this when they were there. Sometimes kids hide in weird places also. Like, you know, there's also that. Even if it wasn't her murdering him. Like, why didn't you look in the car? That is a huge question, considering we live in a post-Casey Anthony world where trunks are apparently completely sealed up. 
this is so disgusting. The only thing I can think too is like, I wonder too, like even if they, you know, looked in the windows and stuff or they had her pop it open, you know how some of those cars have like that little thing where like the spare. Oh, I have that in my car. Yeah. You like pull it up or your spare tire or like you can store stuff like, you know, an emergency kit and stuff in. That's a good point. I didn't want to totally throw shade on these cops, but I'm also like, what the fuck? But then I was like, well, let me think about it too on the other side of it. But you also have to look at the fact that she's saying, like, he went to a friend's house and he's never come home. Mm -hmm. They're thinking, why would he be in the house at all? Right. Because, like, you have to realize that most of the time when something like this happens, you watch on TV shows and there'll be, like, 45 cops at this house for a missing kid. Mm -hmm. It's not like that in real life. You're probably getting two to three police officers and a detective out there and they have to go through the house. And they're thinking, we're looking for evidence that this kid left the house. The trunk isn't somewhere. So I don't right. I don't necessarily think the police did a bad job. No, no, I'm not saying that. I don't know. Like, at some point, you have to kind of be like, we live in a world so full of sick, fucked up people. And I, I don't think I would make a good cop because I would go, like, you murdered your kid, like, right off the bat. So pop your trunk, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure those responding officers probably feel terrible after they found that blood in that vehicle. Not thinking to look there or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. Because it's also, here's the thing too, like we can say how we want to say all day long because it's like hindsight's twenty twenty now when you know that there was blood in the car and we know that she killed him. Right. And it's like, you don't actually know he's in the car at that time. Who knows if this house has like a convenient storage place mm-hmm. that people don't know about or, you know, you don't necessarily know that Gannon could have been in the car. He could have been moved into the car later. Yeah, he could have been anywhere, like plenty of storage stuff. Or, you know, being a military family, you have those huge tough boxes. He could have been in a tough box. Like, there's so many different scenarios of where he could have been. Right. And from what they're being told is that she saw Gannon leave the house, that he went out the side yard through the gate. Mm-hmm. They're going to go look in the neighborhood. Right. And to the police's disadvantage here, you have someone telling them, this kid left their home. You know, like if she had said, you know, I had told Gannon he couldn't go to his friend's house and he went upstairs and slammed his door and I went to check on him 45 minutes later and he wasn't there. Yeah, you would look at every nook and cranny of that house because you don't know if he's just hiding, being a little brat. Mm -hmm. But she purposely told the police he left the house. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So when they're doing like their little quick look around, They do go into his room, and this is, oh, I only noted this because later they compared the body cam footage that they had from that day compared to the photos that she took on her cell phone earlier in the day that morning, and there was some differences. So Gannon's bed had totally different bedding, like sheets, comforter, all of that, everything different. And the bed was also in a different spot completely. It was pushed up against the wall. And in the picture, that's not how it was set up. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was supposedly sick. Like, I could see, like, there being a new comforter set or something, like, if he had gotten, like, sick on the bed. But, like, here's why that story doesn't track. Your child is sick. Why would you leave for, like, what, three to four hours without him also? Why would, if your kid was sick, would you allow him to go to another child's house where he could then infect that child with whatever cockamamie bullshit that kid had? Mm-hmm, exactly. And it's like, there's that text message with Al and Gannon, can I at least play Zelda? If she knew that Al had said no, would she have let him go out? Mm-hmm. If he can't even play a video game, what makes you think he should go to a friend's house? Right. I don't know if there was like a phone call before or something like that where he had asked if he could play a game or something like that. And Al had said, no, you can't go to your friend's. Like, can I go to like Billy's house? And he's like, no, you're sick. And then it's like, well, can I at least play Zelda? And he's like, no. Yeah, the phrasing on that is a little interesting. So it's kind of like if it was him, maybe there was a pre-conversation or it's probably just Tisha typing how she fucking types. Who knows? Well, it just seems random. Like, can I at least play Zelda? Yeah. So the next day, Tuesday, January 28th, early that morning, there's a conversation we talked about in the last episode with Tisha and the old babysitter. Essentially, this was her setting up a story that he had supposedly went off at the friend's house, but she didn't know what friend and all of that. Everyone's like, okay, you don't keep up with your kid's friend. Like, she literally says, I don't keep up with his friends. Okay, you take care of this child. He's 11? He's 11. Okay, your daughter's almost eight. Yeah. Other than like maybe friends at school that she doesn't hang out with outside of school, you know every single person your child is friends with. Mm-hmm. At 11, 
presumably thinking you're going to still have that. Right. Yeah. He's 11. Like, I can understand at, like, 17 having, like, a friend of a friend that you kind of know. Yeah, like, with Harley, that would make sense, you know, because she's almost an adult. Right, because she's got a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, things like that. There's external places where you would meet someone you don't know. But for even a nanny not to know who the 11-year-old's kid, the 11-year-old kid's friends is with, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Are you telling me that this place you live is so safe that your kids can run around and talk to people without your knowledge? I'm sorry, but my biggest fucking thing I would have shouted at her is he's 11. Why are you letting him go to a friend's house without you dropping him off and picking him up? Unless that person lived across the street in which my helicopter parenting ass, I'm pretty sure, would just be like peering through the drapes like, did he make it? <laughs> okay, you have him and like called, did he make it? At the very least, like, the story she's telling is, like, neglectful parenting and is still an offense. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, if you watch or hear interviews with that babysitter, she's just like, um, what the fuck? Kind of shit. Like, she didn't think Tisha had done anything, but she was also like, that's just kind of weird. But okay. After that, at 8.30, there's a receipt that they now have that shows that Tisha rented a 2019 Kia Rio from Avis. They're in the Springs. At 8.48, Tisha texts Harley to pull her car into the garage for whatever reason. And then right after that, Tisha picks up Al from the airport. They stopped at a grocery store. They stopped at King Supers. They went to Wendy's and then they went back home. At almost one, Tisha's phone has the search of the Can Nintendo Find My Switch. Now, like most kids nowadays... I mean, I have to rope myself included because I'm obsessed with Animal Crossing now. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) most kids love the Switch because it's just one of those game systems you can put on the TV or you can do handheld. And Ganon loved his. Like, he played it all the time. He had multiple games like the Zelda game. That's on the Nintendo Switch. You know, typical 11-year-old boy type of thing. Right. And obviously, from that search... It sounds like she was trying to see if it could be traced, like a find my iPhone kind of thing is what I'm assuming Mm -hmm. is her train of thought. So later that evening, I'm assuming there was like a phone call or something because it says from 404 to 417, the investigators had asked Tisha for Gannon's toothbrush for DNA. And then there's a little bit of a text exchange literally as soon as she gets off the call with them. So like two minutes later, so 419, she texts Al. They're asking for our son's toothbrush, but said nothing is wrong. Something isn't right. I think they're hiding something. Al says, who, the police? Tisha says, yes, they asked for toothbrushes. Al says, hmm, what do you think they're hiding? And that was the end of that little snippet. Um, And then at 7 p.m., she picks up her car that she had left earlier that morning at the airport in short-term parking and leaves at 7.02. So like in and out. I'm just really, I don't know, it's just weird. It's like... Obviously, somebody had to take her, and I think that's where they kind of think, like, Harley comes into play a lot. Like, they think she drove her more places than she's saying kind of thing. I think that's what the deal is with that. So is this the rental car that's at the airport? It just says her car. So I think it's, like, her actual car. It's not the—I don't think it's the rental. That's interesting. Yeah, like, you can get to the airport unless she Ubered over there and got it and then left. But there would be— It would say. It would say that. So I don't know. It's just weird. It's just weird phrasing. But yeah, that's what they say. She went and got her car. So I don't know. I guess she left her car there and then rented a car. I mean, they have rental things there, I think. No, no. But like my like my thought is if you left your car, could someone else have had access to your car and presumably take Gannon from the car? Well, no. He was probably left in there oh. because... No, it's a good idea, but, like, I feel like that plays more into, like, how did he get to Florida thing. Right. But they think that she actually dumped his remains somewhere between 7.02 after she got the car and 12 a.m., which actually, if he was in the car and she didn't have, see, this makes sense. If she had her car but didn't have enough time to get rid of him and was picking up Al and all of his shit and he was in the trunk... They would have to open the trunk. So she dropped the car off and got the rental car <gasps> to take him home and then said whatever to him, you know, because you can make up anything. You could be like, oh, it's in the shop or whatever, you know, kind of thing. That's what I'm thinking. Or let so-and-so borrow it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, that makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah. Because after her car, they think is when she, you know, tried to dispose of his body. And they think that because between 8.30 to 10.20, those two hours, they were pulling stuff off of uh, cell phone towers from her car because, you know, it's like probably Mm -hmm. got Bluetooth and all that stuff. And it was in this rural area of Highway 105 and Perry Park Road. And this is in Douglas County. And this is near Palmer Lake. And if you guys remember... After a certain point, they did focus their search over there in Douglas County in, like, these areas. Interesting. I do have, like, a thought of, like, where Al is during all of this time. Like, that's from 7.02 to, like, midnight. Yeah, it's five hours. That's five hours. Like, and it's not, like, five hours, like, I went grocery shopping. I mean, obviously, our sidebar stuff is speculation. Right. I don't feel like I really have to <laughs> PSA that, but I feel like if I don't, someone will probably be like, you're wrong, because we could be wrong. You never know. Because, yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. It's until midnight. I mean, maybe she was like, I'm going to go out and look. I'm going to go. Me and some friends are going to go look for him. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, she could have made up something like that. Right. Or I don't know. I don't know what the fuck he was thinking. Or if she was even still really, if she was in the house still at that point. He kicks her out, so I don't think it was that fast. Right. Well, I mean, it would make sense that that would be one of the reasons is be like, the day I get home, you leave me within hours of me getting back, and I don't know where you are for, like, five hours. Yeah, because she could have just up and fucking left. She might not have told him jack shit. Right. And I would have thought, like, if they'd gotten into, like, a big fight about something, like, one of them would have said something. Right. But- To kind of like note into the whole like hardly helping her thing, they do not think that she was with her during the time of the disposal of his body, though, because Harley's phone was pinging back near the home. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I believe where that location was, it was about like 20 plus minutes away or so. So like they assume she's not together because her phone was home, but we won't even go into that rabbit hole. Got it. But at 1026, it does show that Harley left the house and they think that she picked up Tisha near Powers and Carefree, which is just, like I said, you know, just like some roads, like a little bit of ways, which is interesting because it's like, why is she picking her up if she had her car or met up with her whatever kind of thing? Who knows? I'm assuming if they have two vehicles, that would make more sense. Right. And then at 1045 p.m., Tisha sends a text message to the investigators. And she sends it to Detective Bethel. She says, quote, what do you want from me? Because I have nothing. One of your very own leaked to me what you guys were doing. I did nothing slash or am being set up. I'm not really sure other than being told that by another blue with El Paso. I was told I couldn't go home to sleep. And on top of that, men were sent to a home with a minor female and she was forced to stay there, not to even have food. Well, it says good, but I'm assuming she meant food. Every conversation that said, even at this moment, I can hear inside. What do you want from me? And the detective just replied, come in to talk to me. I just would like information to find Gannon. What a weirdo. Yeah. She outed her source because, you know, that's not that hard to figure out, like, who the fuck she knows. Right. And then on top of all of that, she's antagonistic towards this officer. Like, what do you want from me? Like, what do you think he wants from you? He's tasked with finding your stepson. He's trying to find your kid. Right. It's like, I hate these people who are like, I am so innocent. And it's like, you're not. Mm -mm. Okay. Here's the thing, too. She doesn't return the rental until the following day. So my big question is like, how did you get to this airport? How did you get there? That's what I want to know. Because on Wednesday, the 29th, it shows at 9 a.m. that that's when the Kia Rio was returned. Wait, hold on. It would depend on what time it closes and what time it opens. Unless they're actually showing like footage of her going in because there is such thing as late drop off. So if you late drop off, you put keys in a box and then it literally the next day at the first when they open, which 9 a.m. seems like a time they could open, that's when they would say that she returned the car. Yeah, no, I'm assuming they have footage because then it's also okay. it's also noted that she's picked up by someone in like the same vehicle that Harley has. She has like a Jetta or something, like a white Jetta. So I'm pretty sure they had footage on that. Got it. I withdraw my statement. <laughs> 
No, 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 you're fine. So at 11.30 a.m., there's more surveillance footage that catches her at a car wash with potential blood on the back bumper. And then by noon, that's when she arrives to the El Paso Sheriff's Office for her interview with the detectives, noted that she was two hours late. She was supposed to be there at 10. Well, you can't show up with blood on your car. True. Tisha has all kinds of stuff with her. Apparently, she brings a ton of papers with her and notes and all that kind of stuff for her interview. And then they also, you know, because they're detectives and they're trained in this shit, they noticed her car was wet. So they're like, you were at the car wash. Okay. (laughs) So I mentioned that she had made up at Guardo. This is when this went down. So Tisha claimed that she was held at gunpoint and then raped by Eduardo, and then that he's the one that took Gannon after her attack. She also claims that he was in the basement when she came home, but allowed her to greet the stepdaughter, the the younger sister, and have her go out, which it's like, um, no rapist home intruder is going to give a fuck about that. Sorry, they're not. Right. And also... There was no movement. There would have been movement of him getting in the house. Right. But also, like, normal people when the child is taken. I mean, typically, no, people just say, I was raped. I was held at gunpoint. After he finished raping me, he took my kid. He kidnapped my child. And then there would have been an Amber Alert. They would have mm-hmm. been all this thing, like, description of this guy, the name, where he worked, what company he worked with. And the fact that this is like a few days later is like, well, here's my paperwork. And on my paperwork, you see right here, his name is Eduardo and he raped me and he took my kid. I would have been like, uh, did we not get the right story days ago? Right. And that time chunk after when uh, the little sister's outside, that's when she says the attack was. So from like 3.30 to 4.30. Mm -hmm. And then she says she might have hit her head and blacked out. And then claimed that during the attack, Gannon tried to intervene and jump on the rapist's back. And then there's also claims that she says Gannon got thrown against the room and got held at gunpoint and demanded a suitcase and a cardboard box. There's another version of the story, which I'm not going to go like into too deep details, but basically that she and Gannon were both assaulted type of situation. She says that, too. But she also claims that she, for some reason, decided to clean up the area of her attack afterwards before calling the police. Why? Exactly. And of course, when hearing this, uh, you know, bunch of bullshit, they're still going to treat it like a legit thing. And they offered her a, you know, a rape kit, like a rape exam. And she says, nah, no, thanks. So you have this person who, like, just like the logic of this, if you're a police officer, you have this person who says, I was raped. Most of the time they can get DNA from a rape kit. And let's say this person is an offender already. Boom. Real identity. Right. And then at this time, they seize her phone. Right. And at the end of her interview, she sticks tissues down her pants, claims she has chest pain and shortness of breath. How does shoving tissues down your pants help with that? I'm trying to think. I mean, unless she thought having a heart attack means you pee yourself, that would be a seizure and doesn't always happen, but it happens sometimes. And I know people who have seizures and never once have I ever heard them be like, well, I felt it coming on. So I shoved some tissue down my pants to stop the pee. Like you just pee. At that point in time, you would just take your pants off. Like that makes more logic. Like, (laughs) (laughs) right. Because oh, if you ever poured water on a tissue? <laughs> yeah, it's like it doesn't do anything. It's just like disintegrates. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. Um but with her stuff she's doing, she's uh then transported to a hospital apparently. And they also decide to seize her car and of course, she leaves the hospital without telling investigators that she has left. Oh. That makes so much sense because in the hospital, they're not going to be watching her as closely as if she was in an investigation or an interrogation room. Yeah. Tricky little bitch. Right. And then it said she's picked up by an unknown person. And then she is seen linking up with her daughter, Harley, like several miles away from the hospital. That would make sense. Like if you were Harley, you'd be really concerned that your mother was just in the hospital. So if you had like a friend pick you up, and then drop you off later. Mm-hmm. I just like don't understand how people aren't like, why do you need so many rides all of a sudden? <laughs> right. 
And then that same day, investigators also find multiple carpet brushes with carpet fibers on them in the dishwasher back at the Stouk house. And they also find an empty gallon of vinegar, which, you know, matches the receipt. And the same day, Tisha rents another car. She rents a Nissan Altima and they popped a GPS tracker on it. It's also showed that afternoon a text Tisha sends to someone named Nicole, probably the homeowner, because it says, when we came back inside from the smoke, there was blood on both of us. I didn't know what to do. I was scared I would get, unknown word, out about it. And I don't know if he should go to the doctor. I kept trying to add the candle thing, but Albert kept saying it was small and minor. I was scared the basement was smoky. And when I threw the cover, everything, we both had blood. You don't understand how it is to be a stepmom. So again, she's like obviously panicking, but trying to build this, you know, add more establishment to her story. But she's just like changed her story. Uh huh. She's basically solidifying it with external people. But with the police, she's telling them a completely different story. Right. So Friday, the 31st. From 416 to 513, like I said, they were tracking her. So they see that Tisha heads back to that same place she was at when they think she got rid of the remains on Highway 105 and Perry Park Road. And they thought that she had went back there to make sure his remains weren't seen near the road and anything like that or that his body was covered up, that type of thing. Now that we know he was transported elsewhere, I'm wondering if maybe she was collecting him. Or meeting someone to collect him. That's my thought, too, is like I kind of have a theory that she's not doing this alone and this person would transport him to Florida. Yeah. And then on the first, like I had mentioned before, really briefly, they had evidence, you know, with all the blood everywhere. They also found traces of blood on the rear of the vehicle, like we talked about. And that also included the inside as well on the rear passenger seat, the front passenger seat, and near the glove box, like that whole little area. So over this time, they do all kinds of searches. They do, I think, like over 100. Like they do a ton of searches. Got it. Now, they use Blue Star, which we've talked about in other episodes before. And this is when they find the presence of blood in Gannon's bedroom and all those other places that I mentioned before. This is just, oh my God, this is just... mm. So in his room, they suspect because of the Blue Star stuff that there was so much blood that it seeped through the carpet to the pad and to the concrete underneath the pad. That's so fucking much. That is a lot. Like, as a dog owner who has left her dog in a house by herself, for that kind of penetration, it either has to be, like, a ton, so it soaks really quickly through, or it has to be there a really long time. Right. And they also found blood stain and blood spatter on the wall, and they find 50 droplets of suspected blood on the walls where his bed was pushed up. Oh, so, like, she moved it because she couldn't get rid of them. I'm guessing, yeah. She not think that it eventually moved the bed? Uh, no, probably not. On top of all of that, there was a red stain on Gannon's mattress, which they assume is blood. And then there was a blood cast on the wall as well. So there's just blood everywhere. It sounds like it. Yeah. And of course, you know, experts came in and they said based on these stains on the walls and things like that, that was created by gunshot, blunt force and or stabbing. And then they also found blood even on the edges and behind an electrical socket that was near his bed, too. Oh, so like if it was above the socket, it could have dripped down into it. Yeah. Okay. They're thorough. Well, I'm glad. And then, like I kind of mentioned earlier, this is the time they shift to focus in Douglas County because obviously they've seen she's driven there multiple times. And they start monitoring phone calls between Tisha and Al. And of course, they say that, you know, her story is obviously always changing. If you go and listen, we went through her interview and then we I read her big statement she had put out before. So you will see all that. And then I guess also on this day on the 13th, this is when she kind of tried to plant the whole candle thing. She was saying it was so bad that his skin bubbled. He wiped the blood on the bedroom wall. Okay, you're going from it's from an assault. It's you hitting your head. And now it's him burning himself like third degree burns and wiping his burning arm on the wall. Okay. I do have a question. I don't know anything about burns. I don't either. But like if he was burned, you would think that like it would cauterize. Maybe. 
the amount of blood in which they're saying, like, unless they just weren't telling her, like, how much blood. Oh, probably not. Probably not. Right. But see, she was telling this to Al. She wasn't telling this to, like, investigators. Oh, wow. Yeah. She just told them this whole other story, like, out of nowhere, because he didn't even ask about the blood. Like, she just said it. Oh, my God. Like, do you think she's telling Al one thing and the detectives another thing? And then it's like, I don't know. That's a great segue, because the next day, there's a phone call. With four more stories. Four? Four. In one conversation. Yes, between her and Al. So, number one, when the sheriff's department came to the house on the 27th, the abductor was still in the house, and she tried to tell the deputies that someone was there, but they checked the entire house, and no one was there. No one was fucking there, because she's fucking making shit up. And number two, story two, she said she was raped by Quincy Brown at her home, and Brown abducted Gannon. She knew Brown's identity because she saw a paper with his ID fall out of his pocket. And Tisha sent a photo of Quincy Brown to Al via text. Number three, which kind of adds on to this, she says Quincy followed her from Petco and then at some point was laying in the middle of the road in front of her. So she stopped to not run him over. And then that's when he jumped in the car and made her take him to her the house and then assault her. But... There's no footage and you see them go into the house. Yeah, unless this Quincy's supposed to be Gannon. The stature between a man and 11-year-old boy is vastly different. I'm sorry. Is Quincy a ghost? I mean... Can we see Quincy? <laughs> Can only she see Quincy? I don't know. Number four, she claims that her and Gannon were near Country Line Road and Highway 105 on 127 and then says Gannon was riding his bike in the area, fell off and hit his head, and then was abducted by Quincy and that Brown was driven by a guy named Terrence. Okay. This kid is obviously the most unlucky. He's like the story she just told. He's really sick. He can't go to school. She's dragging him everywhere. He's too sick to go into Petco. But somehow they managed to drive out to the middle of fucking nowhere. Let him ride a bike, which I'm sorry. Like, was his bike in her Volvo? Or magically there? Who knows? The way this story is going. Right. He's riding the bike. He falls down and hits his head. A child abductor just so happens to be fucking strolling by and is like, oh my God, a free kid. Yay, pick this kid up. And then I'm picturing him running. And then this guy, Terrence, driving by and is like, Quincy, you need a ride? I don't know why he has to be like a hillbilly, but apparently. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Apparently is. And, you know, Quincy's like, sure, Terrence, let's go. And like throws Gannon in like what I'm assuming is like a 1970s pickup truck. And the two of men abduct this little boy. Like, again, this is like days later. Why would you just? Oh, my God. Right. Exactly. Obviously, police knows that she was making shit up because... They essentially think that she saw his picture like online or something because he was actually in a lineup for Pikes Peak's Most Wanted Fugitives, which is that area. Okay, hold on. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Can you like imagine these like detectives? It's like Al and her and the detectives and they're all talking and she tells the first story and they're like, no. And she's like, okay, what happened this way? And they're like, no, it didn't. And then she's like, okay, what about this way? It's like she's telling a story until they're like, you know what? That's probable. Yeah. And she also tells them that searching in that area would be, quote, futile. So, like, she's telling them not to go there. Yeah. Motherfuckers, why aren't you out there? Like, I'd be like, bye. Yeah, they've already been there, obviously, at this point. And on the 15th, which was a Saturday of February, they find a piece of particle board during their search. It had a stain on it that they thought was blood. So, of course, they tested it and whatnot. And the blood profile matched Gannon. They also found traces of his blood near this area as well on Highway 105 and Perry Park Road. They think that she used the particle board to, like, move him or to, like, help during the disposal of him. Got it. Also this day, tells investigators she told Al Gannon fell off his bike because she thought that's what he wanted to hear. No, what he wants to hear is that his son is coming home safe. Right. Then this is when the story comes up that I mentioned earlier about the assault on both of them. Because she says, oh, that blood in the corner of his room. Because see, they obviously weren't telling her how much blood they found. Because she was like, oh, that blood in the corner of his room. That was because of us both being attacked. That's what she tries to tell Al. I mean, I totally see why he kicked her the fuck out of their house. Right. And then the next day on the 16th, there's a conversation 
Tisha had with a female named Tila Cummings, saying that she gave Al false stories because she knows he won't believe anything she says. I'm sorry. That's not an excuse. Just don't talk to him then. Right. She was already gone at this point because on Monday the 17th, she's talking to another female, probably a friend or something, named Laura Abernathy and says she was thinking about flying out to Colorado to take a lie detector test to prove her innocence. She said, quote, they think I'm still in Colorado. Bitch, they fucking knew where you were. Shut up. They're not stupid. (laughs) I like that she thinks that the cell phone she calls them on doesn't, they don't trace that shit. I mean, obviously she's on it for more than a minute because. Right. It takes more than a minute to tell four big giant ass lies. Mm-hmm. And then she talks with another person saying, you know, that she was going to take a lie detector test, but it wouldn't be admissible in court and no law enforcement would be present. So, meh, there's that. Now, because we're going to continue on about this uh, lie detector stuff. On Tuesday, February 18th at 1014 in the morning, she calls a number that's linked with the website fakepolygraph.com. She tells the person she's talking to from there that she never received a confirmation for her test that she paid for. And the guy says, you know, he'll send her an email to follow up. Uh, About an hour later, she calls them again to ask about the email. And the guy tells her that her report was actually blocked by management because of the questions she wanted on the test. He said any test with the legal activities, the company has the right to not send it. And I'm going to tell you guys those questions in a minute. Tisha says to him, what do you do now? Just delete it and go on about life and keep the money? The employee says, yes, we do indeed. Tisha says, "Okay, I got you. Thank you. Goodbye. And of course, these were questions with Gannon and they're reading them and being like, "Mm, this bitch did something. Because the questions were, do you intend to answer all these questions regarding your stepson truthfully? The answer says yes. Is your birthday August 4th, 1983? Yes. Did you participate in any way in causing harm to your stepson? No. Did your stepson return with you to your home? Yes. Did you participate in any way in causing the death of your stepson? No. And I mean, at this point, he's still a missing child that's presumed dead, not a dead child. They hadn't found him. Yeah. Right. But obviously, if the fake polygraph company ain't gonna fucking do it, you know, you know you fucked. But because of all of their... You know, the uh, investigation they've been doing and whatnot on February 28th. That's when the judge had signed the warrant for the arrest and she was arrested in South Carolina on March 2nd. And then, like I mentioned before, on the 20th, that's when his remains were found. And I believe that they were. It's just one of those things because kid cases, like we've said, is always so hard. So I read enough to like know that they found him and just kind of like mind dump. We're done talking about this. But like, I believe they found him in like a duffel bag and under a bridge that's so sad yeah i know it breaks my fucking heart um but yeah so that friday he was found in pace florida okay well to be honest like to go back to something she said earlier with the whole like abducted thing she said that the abductor asked for a suitcase and a cardboard box that would establish that story yeah you're right right so I mean, I know that it was particle board that she used in the woods, but like that could be like, you know, there was no box. So they used particle board type thing. Right. Like the suitcase, I'm assuming, belonged to the family. Right. So that would explain that. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. It's just establishing that story now. And then kind of just our last little updates to wrap us up here. As of now, she is set to appear before the 4th Judicial District Judge Greg Werner in El Paso County for her preliminary hearing between June 5th and June 8th. That's already like a rescheduled date because originally she was supposed to have done that hearing in mid-April. But with all the COVID stuff, obviously they pushed it back. Hopefully they don't have to delay it more, but we will see since that is now next month. Basically, during this time, if the judge decides that the prosecution didn't provide enough evidence, which I can't see that happening, for presumed guilt, she would be allowed to apply for a bond because obviously right now she doesn't have one. But I don't I don't see that happening considering what they released to us is so much information. And like I said, the affidavit itself, like you guys probably think, damn, this is a long stabby. If we'd went over the whole affidavit, it would have been a really long stabby because it's 32 pages long. There's a lot of info in there. So if you're invested in this case like we are, I would definitely recommend just checking it out. And I know some of the YouTube channels 
as well that I watch are doing deep dives into the affidavit as well. So if you kind of want, you don't want to read it, you kind of just want to hear about it more, I would say go check it out. One that's been heavily covering this case is called It's a Crime. I hadn't gotten through all of her videos because I think she ended up doing like three or four videos on this. I watched part of the first one, but I they're all about almost an hour long. So like, damn, get your snacks, get your drinks. Yeah, like <laughs> I love her channel. She's great. And then in real time, because today is the Tuesday before this is releasing to you guys. So just a couple days ago in real time now. Today and yesterday, I think uh, Stephanie Harlow, someone I talk about a lot that I watch as well. She's released two parts, I think, in regards to the affidavit. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet because of work and stuff, but she's also really good at going like deep into detail on that. So if you want more content on this, definitely go check those two channels out for sure. But that is all I have in regards to this. I'm, of course, going to keep watching and we'll see what happens when June rolls around and bring you guys another update once some of that stuff comes into play. But yeah, I think that's really all we got. So we will go ahead and sign off and we will catch you on Monday. Bye, guys. Bye.